This is WQA Radio, a podcast from the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. And hello, I'm your host, Wes Bleed. People discouraged us from testing pH and testing some other water quality parameters in the building because they said there's no evidence that it would ever change. So why would you test for it? And so we're glad we did test for it uh, because the pH of 7.5 entering the building and then when you use the water, it's 9.4, is massive. That's Dr. Andrew Welton from Purdue University talking about his research into water quality variances in multiple locations of a home. And welcome to WQA Radio, news and insights about the water treatment industry. You can find us at WQA.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. This is episode number 181. And if you're here for the first time, welcome. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss a show. That's the magic of podcasting. We're publishing this August 19th of 2020, and we want to make sure you are planning to join us for the WQA Mid-Year Leadership Conference. It's virtual this year. It's coming up September 16th and 17th with a special welcome reception on September 15th. You can learn more, register, in fact, sign up your entire team with group pricing at wqa.org mylc. In this episode, we will replay a portion of a WQA Essentials webinar about new research, which is finding surprising differences in the water quality from different locations, different taps within the same house. WQA Professional Certification and Training Director Tanya Lubner talks with Dr. Andrew Welton, an Associate Professor of Civil, Environmental, and Ecological Engineering at Purdue. They talk about the findings, the cause of these water quality variations, and the implications for the point of use and point of entry drinking water treatment industry. Plus, I'll have our WQA tip. Now on to Dr. Tanya Lubner and Dr. Andrew Welton on WQA Radio. Point of use, point of entry industry has known for a while that there's uh, some difference between what goes on in the home and what the municipal water puts out. Um, but my question to you is uh, that municipalities uh, tell us that the tap water uh, is safe, that it meets federal and state uh, standards. Your studies uh, indicated that that's not necessarily the case. Can you talk about that a little? Absolutely. So there is this myth that uh, utilities deliver a constant product every time. Uh, And it actually varies during the day and and by the day and by the season to the building. And so what's really important is to recognize that the water being delivered to buildings is not the same consistent quality. And compliance is determined by taking samples at certain locations in the distribution system, not actually generally at the point of use. So people are being told that their water meets federal standards, but the fact of the matter is that it meets federal standards at the meter, not at the point of use generally, and that there's not enough sampling to characterize what that variability is. And that's one of the studies that um, results that we have. 
and took quite a few samples. Uh, and that those samples showed that the uh, water quality is going to vary depending even where in the home's distribution system you're taking the sample. What's causing that inconsistency in the quality? So one of the issues that we identified is we had a trunk and branch plumbing design, single family home that was all made of the same material, you know, PEX pipe with a brass valve. And, and so those were controlled, but we had different water uses at each fixture, right? So you had the upstairs bathroom, you had the downstairs bathroom, you had the kitchen. Uh, and in all of those fixtures are used at different frequencies, which means that the water sitting behind the wall in those pipes for different time intervals. And the time intervals and the frequencies can have a profound impact on what's in the water when it comes out the faucet. So how, how would you characterize then, taking those variances into account, how would you characterize the safety of the water in the home? So in our study, we didn't find any exceedances of acute exposure thresholds, like we didn't we didn't find copper in exceedance of 1.3 milligram per liter. We didn't find, we found lead. It was about two to three parts per billion. Um, but when you have these other buildings where maybe they have lead pipes or galvanized uh, uh, iron pipes and they've, they've accumulated lead particulates over time, um, you may have other issues. And so one of the issues is we really don't understand um, on a macro scale, what water quality is being delivered to the faucet? And so the question is, how do we determine if it's safe? Well, the plumbing codes aren't designed to deliver safe water. They're delivered to deliver water at pressure. Um, but we're not there yet with plumbing codes. And uh, let's talk a little bit about the experimental setup. So how did you choose this particular home? How representative is it of U.S. households? So that's a great question. That question comes in a lot. Uh, it's a single-family home with trunk and branch uh, plumbing design. Uh, it has cold water system. It has a hot water system. It has a recirculation loop that wasn't operating, so it was just sitting there. Um, and it also has water heaters. Uh, many many times like residential homes, except this house had so much hot water in storage that it was a problem. And um, that was because they had three tanks that were just sitting there absorbing heat from the photovoltaic system that they thought could help heat the water and save them energy, um, which didn't work. But uh, the fact of the matter is they had about 12 days of water storage in their hot water system in this building. Well. That's, uh, that's kind of unusual. Um, if I might ask, why three tanks? So the, the theory was that they needed that volume uh, to absorb the heat from the coolant. So coolant was piped up to the photovoltaic system on the roof, and it would come down hot, and then it would pass through these tanks in a pipe, and then the heat would dissipate into the water. We weren't involved in the design, and it wasn't um, a good one. But anyways, we came in after the building was built um, and then just monitored the system as it was. Mm -hmm. What about sampling points? Where uh, in the distribution, the home's distribution system, did you sample and what made you select those particular points? 
Right. So I'm going to share, share just a, a picture of, um, of where we sampled. And the reason why I'm going to do that is because uh, it was really amazing in terms of what we could do. So this slide I'm showing you here shows a picture of the house from the street. Um, we, had, we had flow meters on every pipe and every fixture, and we measured them every second, every day for a year. Um, temperature gauges, so we knew what the temperature was everywhere in the plumbing. Um, and so we really had a good understanding of what was going on. And then water, if you look on this slide here on the far left, that little port where you see some copper and brass valves and the blue PEX pipe, that's actually where it comes in through the concrete, the service line. And so we attached this um, online Hawk water quality monitoring system to measure water quality every minute. And the bottom line was we found a tremendous uh, variability coming into the building. We couldn't put one of these systems on every faucet because they're about $8,000 each. Um, and you could see they're kind of large and you can't really put that under the sink. So we went in and we did grab samples. So we went in and took bottles and vials and collected the samples and, and walked them about 100 yards to our laboratory and analyzed them. So the online analysis system, what was that measuring? So this Hawk system was measuring uh, total chlorine concentration, the disinfectant level that the utility was delivering, uh, water temperature, turbidity, and there was flow rate also being measured as well. Uh, I'll come back to the grab samples in a minute. Uh, what did you find with, uh, with the sampling here? Or with the results I guess. So this slide here kind of shows you an overview and, and you can, if anybody wants a copy of it, they can just email me and I'll send it to them. You can also go on this web, web link here. Um, so water quality entering the building varies seasonally, which means that the product that the utility was delivering was not consistent across the whole year. Um, what was really interesting to us was that 10% of the time, the utility was delivering non-chlorinated water which meant that the disinfectant that they put into the water wasn't making it all the way to this building. And this building wasn't, you know, 15 to 20 miles outside of the water treatment plant. I mean, this was a relatively small community. So that complicates a whole lot of things because disinfectant causes disinfectant byproducts. It can affect uh, biofilm formation. It can affect all sorts of other things. And so when you have inconsistent product quality going into a plumbing, you can have greater and greater complexity in trying to predict what's going on. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at those uh, on your slide, the uh, trihalomethane levels increased by up to 89% um, as long, along with water pH. Can you talk a little bit about um, maybe the causes and the effects? Yeah, so that's a great, great question. Um, you know, I'll tell you right off the bat, um, people discouraged us from testing pH and testing some other water quality parameters in the building because they said there's no evidence that it would ever change. So why would you test for it? And so we're glad we did test for it uh, because the pH of 7.5 entering the building and then when you use the water, it's 9.4 is massive because it's, uh, you know, pH is on a log scale. So we're not talking, you know, you know, 20% higher, we're talking of like thousands um, hydrogen ion concentration higher. So as far as for a THM, 
these disinfectant byproducts that are produced with organic matter that's naturally occurring in the water can react with chlorine or disinfectants and transform into these things called THMs. And the EPA monitors these concentrations basically at the point of entry to the house. They don't, they assume generally that the, there's nothing formed between the water meter and the, the faucet. And why that's important is because if you're trying to understand health risks and the potential for causing cancer, which is what these regulations are based off of for mm -hmm. THMs, and you ignore an 89% increase, uh, that's a problem. And so many of the regulations that you hear about are based on assuming that water quality doesn't change from meter to the faucet. And our study shows that much of that is just not true. And that was a portion of a recent WQA Essentials webinar. And you can find the entire webinar at wqa.org webinars. And now our WQA tip. If you're not a member of WQA, why? This is the perfect time to join. Get the remainder of this year and all of next for one affordable price. Get discounts on WQA education, webinars, and join now and get a complimentary registration for both the Mid-Year Leadership Conference as well as the 2021 WQA Convention and Exposition. Go to wqa.org slash membership and join today. We'd love to have you join our growing community of water treatment professionals. Thanks for listening to WQA Radio, a podcast of the Water Quality Association, the leading voice of the water treatment industry. Remember, you can subscribe to WQA Radio on most popular podcast apps. Learn more about water at wqa.org and, of course, learn about WQA product certification, professional certification, and how you can become a member at wqa.org. This is Wes Bleed. So long from WQA Radio.